On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices that they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them, who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up. He ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. This is truly an amazing story. I mean, it is the most amazing story. Nobody, first of all, nobody expected Jesus to die. Like, when Jesus was rolling through town, everybody thought that he was the one. No one expected him to die. And then he did, a few days ago, on Good Friday. On Sunday, no one expected Jesus to be alive. I mean, his disciples were, his followers, his friends, they were, they were awestruck by the fact that he had died. Like, they, they were... They, they couldn't comprehend it. They couldn't get their minds around it. No one was expecting that. And no one was looking for a resurrection. I mean, they, maybe they should have, because he told them all the time that this was going to happen. That this is the way it would happen. That in three days, I will rise again. But they weren't thinking about what he had said before. Right now, they were just caught up in the moment, right? You've been there. When you're just caught up in the moment, you don't really think it through logically, logically. Like, really, if God, could God stay dead? Like, no. No, of course not. No one expected the resurrection, and that's it. And yet that's exactly what happened. Just to fast forward, in the next scene in the story of the resurrection, immediately in the text as we work our way through it, starting in verse 13, we see a, two of Jesus' followers who are walking home from Jerusalem. And they're... they're they're walking to Emmaus, but we don't know where that was. We just know they were walking down the road. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up with them. And for some reason, they don't recognize him, right? But the text doesn't really tell us, like, it doesn't get into all that. Why did they recognize him? Like, how could they not? They've been following him all this time. Like, he's right there. Why don't they see him and know? But it says that they, their eyes were blinded from him. They couldn't see him. The Spirit wouldn't let them see him. And Jesus says, hey, y'all, <laughs> what you talking about? And they're like, are, are you, where have you been? Like, have you been living under a rock? Like, do you not know what's happened these last days in Jerusalem? Like, like Jesus, 
He said, oh yeah, who's that? And so they begin to tell him the stories of Jesus and all the things that he had done and how the, how the people had run to the tomb to, uh, how he'd been crucified and, and how he, they'd run to the tomb to dress the body and the body was gone and, and now what, was go- what is happening to us? They walked several miles together that day. And then they get to their village, and Jesus is going to keep walking. And it's getting late, and he says, and they, they ask him, well, Jesus, why don't you, hey, you, I guess, they don't, they, they don't know it's Jesus. They say, hey, why don't you stay and eat with us? And Jesus, you know, so far in the Gospel of Luke, we've seen that he doesn't miss a party. He's like, sure, I'll stay and eat. I'd love to. Thanks for the inv- invitation. And so he goes in, and he eats with them. And, and during the meal, he breaks bread, and he gives thanks to God for it. And in that moment, Scripture tells us that they saw him for who he really was. His identity was revealed to them. In that moment, that moment they saw him, and right then he disappeared. The minute they saw him, he was gone. So, so these two guys who were, or man or woman, we don't know, but these two people, right? Up until that point, they'd been sad, they'd been angry, they'd been frustrated that... Because everything was not going the way they had envisioned it going, and now everything changes just like that. Everything changes. They're back to having hope. They went from sad, confused, and hopeless to renewed, to restored, emboldened. They'd experienced something that had transformed their lives. And what did they do? They, they ran. They, they went out in the, in the night down a road that's probably not the safest road to be walking down if you're picking up what I'm putting down. Right? They, they walk down this, they go back to Jerusalem, running back to Jerusalem to tell everybody, he's alive. We've seen him. We had dinner with him. We talked to him. He's alive. They couldn't wait to tell. They, couldn't, they had to go right now. Not going to wait till the morning and go. No, we're going to tell everybody now because everybody's got to know that he's alive. The resurrection had happened. Skip through all these texts because Michelle was reading from a different translation that I had up there and it was going to do nothing but confuse us all. So I said, better just to skip right, <laughs> than add confusion. <clears throat> the resurrection gives us hope. The resurrection still gives us hope. Not just back then for those, guys, for those folks, the followers of Jesus, but today. And hope is something that, frankly, our world could use a lot more of. I don't know about you and your life, but my life and my world could use a lot more hope. It seems from a pandemic to the economy, politics, but those are kind of whatever. It's family problems, mental health issues, social media. I mean, everywhere you look today, the world is screaming for hope. They don't know where to get it. I mean, we know where we try to get it, but that doesn't last. I'm more convinced than ever that what we need, what our neighbors need, what our world needs, is a reminder of how the resurrection brings hope into the world, into our world, into your world. Today, I want to remind you, probably if you've been coming to church for a long time, it's not going to be anything new. But, but I, what I want to do is try to connect the dots for you. That you can leave here today as a hope-filled Easter people, right? That you can leave here changed again. Because hope leaks. 
If you follow, if you, you know what I'm saying? Like, like just what I told the kids, you can start out with as optimistic as you want to be. And life has a way of punching you in the gut with a few uppercuts, right? And then give you a right hook. And, and before you know it, man, the hope that you had has been sucked right out of you. And you find yourself empty again, needing to be refilled, renewed, restored. Because, man, life just keeps coming at us. And the resurrection is the place where we can all go to find a hope that makes a difference. It's not, it's not fleeting, it's not nearly as fleeting as the ways of the world tells us to find hope. The resurrection is the source of that. How? The first thing is guilt and shame lose their power at the cross, or at the, at the resurrection. Guilt and shame. You know, guilt is that feeling when you've done something wrong, right? First grade, I, I got sent to the principal's office. I started going to the principal's office early on in my, high school, my school career. Uh, <laughs> Tim and I were sitting next to each other, and the teacher hands out a test, and we thought, this would be great to play tic-tac-toe on the back of. So we pulled our desks together, and we started playing tic-tac-toe, and she really didn't like it. So that started, it launched me into a career in the principal's office. And, uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time there in my days. Back then, it wasn't just go say hey to him either. It was go and get your spanking and then come back to class, right? So I went, did, did, he did this business, and I went back to class. And uh, so I, I've learned that I know what guilt is when you do something wrong, right? I know, I know what doing stuff wrong is all about, right? I'm well-versed in that. We've probably all heard that Jesus died to free us from our sin, right? To set us, to, to forgive us. That's why Jesus died. But I don't, I don't know that that gives us the hope that it should in today's world. Probably, by and large, we probably, thus gathered here today, we probably think of ourselves as pretty good people, right? Matter of fact, last week, I think it was last week in our, in our membership class, we had this conversation that, that if I were to ask you to grade yourself on a scale of zero to ten, zero being you are deplorable, you're terrible, you're horrible, you, you've got no shot, and a ten being, I'm pretty good. I'm actually, I'm downright daggone good. We would all grade ourselves, probably, and I'm not going to ask you to hold your hands up but, or to put your numbers in the air, but I would bet that we're all going to grade ourselves probably in the six or seven. We're not that bad, but we're better than average, which how can you be better? How can everybody be better than average? I don't know, but, but we all think of ourselves as being better than average, right? Amen. Well, we're going to pray for whoever is uh, getting a response right now. Lord, we ask you that... Uh, that is, you have people responding to a call. We ask that you would uh, be in the hands of those first responders, Lord, uh, that you would go before them, that you would protect them, Father. We thank you that, uh, that you've prepared people to respond to the crises in our lives, and we thank you that they, re- that they do respond. We love you. Protect them, God. Amen. Amen. So, yeah, so since we're all sixes and sevens, right, we're, we're not that bad, right? But the reality is that, that God... The problem is that God doesn't judge on the same kind of scale that we use for ourselves. God judges on a, on a yes or no scale. Are you perfect or not? And frankly, that scale, none of us pass. None of us pass that one. So, so we know that we're not perfect, so we're all guilty in that sense. And guilt can be a good thing. I don't want to get you the wrong idea, but because guilt can be a good thing. If it, if it corrects you, if you're that feeling in your heart when you're off track, right? We, we call that when you're, the, the internal alarms are going off, whoa, 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 that's dangerous territory. Watch out, watch out. You're too close. Slow down. You're not as good as you think. Don't eat that. Don't look at that. 
Don't touch that. Don't say that. Don't go there. Because it's not going to solve your problem. See, that's conviction. That's conviction. That's when, our, that's when the Spirit of God, I believe, works in us to say, oh, oh, easy, easy. We know it's wrong, and we're convicted by it. But the problem is, is when we allow our guilt to become our identity. When we, that, then it becomes shame. Shame, like, I am the problem. No, you're not the problem. Scripture says you're created in the image of God. You're not the problem. Sin is the problem. Sin is the problem. And sin had to be dealt with. And enter Jesus. Jesus came to deal with our sin, our real problem. See, shame is when we start believing that that we're the mistake. Jesus died to pay the price for our sin, to take our punishment so that we would be free, that you and I would be free. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. We have hope today because through faith in Christ, through his work on the cross, we have been redeemed. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are of the redeemed. You've been purchased. You owe nothing. You owe guilt and shame nothing. You owe it no respect, no honor, none. As followers of Jesus, guilt and shame no longer have a power, any power over you because you've been forgiven. You are forgiven. Jesus has set us free. We have access to the freedom that Jesus made possible by trusting in his work on the cross. That's how it works. So first, the resurrection gives us hope because it tells us that Jesus died to redeem us from guilt. Second, we have hope. Because in the resurrection, death is defeated. In the resurrection, death is defeated. I mean, since the very beginning, right? Or soon after the very beginning, everything dies, right? We're used to that. We're used to things dying. I mean, ever since, I mean, when I was a kid, dogs just left. Like, I never realized that they were, I, I thought they just ran away. No, I, now I know that they didn't just run away. No, there was something else going on, right? That Everything dies, and, but, and yet we, don't, we never get used to it. We never get comfortable with it. Matter of fact, I would say it's probably the greatest fear that we have. It's probably our greatest, this is one that we all share, is the fear of death. That's why when, when, when our kids are learning to drive, we white-knuckle everything in the vehicle, right? We, because we think they're going to kill us, right? My sister, my sister taught me to drive. Amen? Amen? Some of us are living it right now. It's fresh. So, I, when, 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 I would, when my sister was letting me drive her car, she would lay in the back seat. That was a terrible mistake because I would run off the road on purpose. <laughs> sometimes it was on purpose. Sometimes it just happened to wake her up. I don't know. But, yeah, so it, fear is a reality. Fear is something we share, right? Fear is something we all have, this fear of death. There's a fine line, you see, between respecting and honoring life because, well, I have responsibilities and, and life is precious because I'm created, you're created in the image of God. So life should be valued. Yes, yes, yes. There's a fine line from there and getting really wrapped up in the fear of death. I think of all the money that's spent in the last days of life for people to keep them around just a little longer. Just for, for one more chance to to see, spend time with the people that love them and the people they love. 
right? I mean, we all do it. I mean, I'm not faulting anybody for it. We all do that because we don't want to let go. Death touches all of us. It doesn't respect anybody, any position, any wealth. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you, your gender, your position, your authority. It doesn't matter. Death does not respect you. Your timing, <laughs> yeah, it'll laugh at your timing. Death and the fear of it can actually begin to limit the way we live our lives. How free we are to live if we're worried about dying, trying to maximize this life. It causes us to miss the point of the gift of this life if we're just trying to hold on to it so tightly. That's what the disciples were doing when Jesus died, right? They, when he was arrested and put on trial, they scattered, they ran. Because they were worried they were going to get caught too. And, and Rome would want to kill them as well because they were his followers. They hid. They sought safety above everything else. But then everything changed. Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says, After his suffering, after Jesus uh, came back to life, right? After he was resurrected. He presented himself to them, the disciples, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. I think that would probably all he would need to do is like show up. And that would be convincing. But he did more than that. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. He appeared to many people, hundreds of people, spoke about the king, speaking about the kingdom of God. He, re, he showed himself. He didn't, Jesus didn't hide. Can you imagine walking down the street and you were one of the soldiers who crucified Jesus? You're like, is that him? <laughs> you know, it would be like, wow, oh boy, what is, what's going on here? You know, you didn't know if, am I, in, am I sleeping? Is this a, one of those dreams that... The reality was Jesus was alive. The disciples knew it, and so they changed from a bunch of people scared hiding in the upper room, right, to courageous, bold, confident witnesses of Jesus' life because they no longer were afraid to die. Death had no more sting. At that moment, they had no idea the significance of everything that had been happening, right? I mean, they knew that they knew who they were. They knew they were. They'd been scared. They'd been. They knew they were a bunch of uneducated fishermen who were just gathering up a room, worried about their about getting killed. They knew all that. And then the next day, they were convinced. They were convinced because of the resurrection of Jesus, the promises that He had made. They became convinced that there was a greater life to come than the one they were living. They were convinced that there was something better than right now, and they were okay with that. What, however it gets here, they were okay with it. Jesus said in John 11, uh, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. They're going to live even though they die. Even though they experience death on this earth, they're not going to die. That's God's promise. Then and today, that's the promise that, as a follower of Jesus, we get to live under. We need not fear death, because the resurrection of Jesus is proof that death has been defeated. The third way the resurrection gives hope is that as a result of the resurrection, we have God's Spirit alive in us. We have God's Spirit in us. When Jesus knew he was about to be arrested and put on trial, he, he gathered his disciples around and he, he gave one of his 
probably one of his more famous teachings, either that or the Sermon on the Mount, I'm not sure which, but in, in John chapter 16, Jesus teaches his disciples his last, last moments with them. And he tells them in verse 7, he says, Very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus is saying to his followers, there's something better than having me with you. Now, it's hard for me to get my mind around that because if, if I was going to be sitting in church with anybody other than my wife, I would want it to be Jesus. I mean, if I could pick somebody to go to church with, it would probably, Jesus would be up there. My wife, I can go with her anytime. But if you give me one Sunday to go to church with Jesus, absolutely I'm in. And Jesus is telling his followers, there's something even better than having me sit next to you. I mean, I know the person sitting next to you is good looking, they're dressed up, they're, they took a bath, gentlemen, not, way to go. Like, oh, I know all that. Like, but there's something better than, than even Jesus being there with you. And that's God's spirit being alive in you. That, that's better. That's better. Now, you know I love ice cream. Just, I don't know if anybody's tried the, the Nutter Butter, the Little Debbie ice cream or not. But I, I don't know. I, in my mind, it's got to be better than any other ice cream. Because Nutter Buddies and ice cream, it's like perfect, right? They go together. I'm sorry, I'm on a tangent here that my love for ice cream has taken over. And, and I'm just saying that, that there is something better that you can't imagine. I haven't had it yet. But in my mind, it's better than anything. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he continued in verse 8. When the Holy Spirit comes to you, you'll receive power. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and every part of the world. God's Spirit in you. Not just God for you, right? In creation, God was for us. And Jesus came to be with us as Emmanuel. That's what that means, Emmanuel, God with us. But the Holy Spirit is going to be in you, right? And not just to be in you, but to give you power. To give you power to live. Not just power to bring you to life like he did Jesus, but no, power to live this life. The life that he created you for. He wants to empower us to live in that relationship that we're created to have. And that is to show the whole world, the whole world, what it looks like to be a transformed man or a woman of God. That your life would be a testimony of this is what can happen when Jesus takes over. You're what can happen when Jesus takes over. Hallelujah. He's alive. He's alive in you. That has got to give us hope. That has got to give us hope. That this power would enable them to live the new life that Jesus made possible. That he restored this connection with God the Father, and now he was going to empower us to live it. We don't have to struggle and strain. No. As Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, he said, this is Paul's prayer, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for those who believe. This is the same mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. This same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us, is, is given to us when we trust in Jesus. His resurrection power to hold us for salvation in eternity, absolutely. 
But even more importantly, I think, is that's to live this life today. It has, gives us the power for living, the power over addictions. God's Spirit gives us power over, over the self-defeating lies that we tell ourselves. Power over our selfish desires. The things that we, we tell ourselves that we deserve. The power to forgive people when they haven't earned it. And to love people who don't deserve it. That power is available to his followers because of the resurrection. And that gives us hope. Not only was sin defeated, but that power of God. Because frankly, let's admit it, life is hard. Life is hard, and God knows that. God knows that. He knew it from the time Adam and Eve sinned. He knew that the curse was going to be difficult for humanity. And so, God's plan has always been to empower us to live. His Spirit wants to empower us to live this life because we need help, frankly. You need help in this way because you weren't created to live by human willpower alone. You were created to need God. I know some of us may say, I, I get it. I, I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe that I have God's power in me, but some things I just can't stop. And to you today, I say, you're right. You probably can't. But God's Spirit can. God can overcome the things that you can't. Maybe you should try these three things. If you have something in your life that you just can't get over, try these three things. Practice saying no. Practice saying no. That was what Lent was all about, right? We were talking about fasting during Lent. You know what that was about? It was about telling my body to shut up. I know you're hungry. That's not the point. Right? That was what I did all during Lent. When I fasted, it was no body. No, Gary, be quiet. I've got something more important to do. It's like Nicodemus from, you know, in the story of Nicodemus. He says, shut up. I don't have time for y'all. I've got something more important going on. That's, that's what fasting does. It gives you a chance, a practice to say no to your flesh. Because your body is crying out all the things you want, all the things you deserve, and all the things you ought to have. Every now and then you just got to say no. No. I don't need it. I don't deserve it. I don't. God doesn't deserve me to have that, to do that. I don't need to take Jesus through that again. No. Practice saying no. Second, use the sword of the Spirit. Use the sword of the Spirit. The Bible says that's God's word, is the sword of the Spirit. It's, it's our offensive weapon, right? It's not, it's not just something we read when, you know, in the morning when we wake up. It's actually an offensive weapon to the, the things of, God, of, of the devil. Use Scripture to, to defend yourself, to attack the devil's schemes. How are you going to do that? Well, you need to get to reading it. You need to get his word into you so that when you come up against a temptation, you have something to say back. That's what Jesus did when he went into the wilderness and was tempted for 40 days. He responded with God's word. Say no. Get God's word into your heart. And third, practice some spiritual disciplines. Start, start doing something positive. Don't, don't wait for, oh man, I wonder if that temptation is ever going to come back. Wonder if I'm ever going to struggle with that again. No. Live the life that God has given you to live. Employ yourself in the spiritual dispractices. Get connected into a group of, of accountable other brothers and sisters in Christ. They'll say, Well, I've got a bunch of good friends. Yeah, but they don't know Jesus. You need to surround yourself with people who love Jesus. Who are going to say, 
So how's your faith? That's what you need. You need somebody to say, so you still going to that website? You still talking to that guy? Still talking to that woman? You need to leave him alone, right? We need people who are going to ask us those hard things. You weren't created to live life under your own power. You were made to need the power of God. That will give you hope. Fourth, resurrection tells us that God won't stop loving us. It, I, I've told my kids ever since they were little, there, there's nothing you could do that would ever make me love you anymore. And there's nothing you could do that would make me love you any less. That, that my love for my kids, for my children, is a reality. It's not just something that kind of comes and goes, right? It's not, it's not temporal. It's just there. It's just love. And my love is, I'm, I'm a human, right? So my love is imperfect. God's love is limitless. God's love is limitless. And Jesus said to his, his followers, greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for their friends. He said, I'm going to show you what the greatest love is. That, not, that's Jesus' love for his followers. I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to lay down my life for you. We, do, we talked about this at our Monday Thursday service, that, that the love of God goes first. God moves, and then, then we're invited to move in response to it. Every time Jesus loves first. Jesus loves first. He said it in 1334, new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you love one another. That's the love of God that goes first in our lives. He reaches out to us first. He reaches through us to others first. Us, you. He loves you first. And who are you? Who are we? Let me ask you, who killed Jesus? I, you might say, the, the Romans did. Like, they nailed him to the cross. It, stories are all about it. And you would be right, I guess. You might be one that says, well, the, the Jewish leaders did. Obviously, they, they pushed the whole issue until they finally convicted Jesus and had him crucified. Maybe. But I would ask you, what about, what about you? It's, the Bible actually teaches that it was, it was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. That we're the ones responsible for his crucifixion. And that's an encouraging message today, preacher. Thanks. Yeah. It was, it was we, we're the ones. Maybe another way to look at it would be, maybe it was God. Maybe God crucified his son for you. God went first. God moved first. He loves you that much. Romans 8, 37, 39. No, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither life nor death nor angels, demons, present nor the future nor any powers, neither the height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. There's nothing you can do. You can't be so bad that God is going to say, I'm done with him. No. He's going to continue to chase you. Continue to seek to transform you. Through the work of Jesus on the cross, that relationship with God has been restored, and, and we're invited into a, in a place where we can love God and be loved by him. 
That's why you were created, to love God and to be loved by him. That's why you're here. No matter what the world tells you is your purpose, that is your purpose. And God won't stop loving you. We have God's spirit. Death has been defeated. Shame and guilt are powerless because we're forgiven. And the fifth one, we'll never be alone. We'll never be alone. This one seems kind of obvious, right? But being alone is, and Marietta, and we talk about this all the time, that that loneliness is probably one of the biggest sources of, of mental strain and anguish today in our world. We experience it over and over again. We know over the last several years, all the COVID stuff, right? We couldn't be around people because... We were afraid we had a virus or they had a virus, and so we, we wouldn't get around people. And it, even if you were, what we found out was, even if you're not alone, if you're just with the same people all the time, eventually you start to feel pretty lonely, right? Or was it just my wife? <laughs> no, eventually we kind of get tired of seeing the same old people. And we, Why is that? Because we were created for relationships. We're relational beings. We're made to be in connection with God and one another. And so isolating ourselves, that's where we find ourselves, alone. Alone in our lives, alone in our thoughts, alone in our problems. And that is not a healthy place to be. The, res- the resurrection changes all of that. It says you're never alone when you, when you live into your relationship with Jesus. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. Don't let the worries of this world distract you from the fact that God is with you. Even death couldn't keep Jesus down. And through faith, you are eternally with him. Eternally, forever. You're never going to be alone. God won't stop loving you. You have God's spirit alive in you. Death has been defeated. Shame and guilt are powerless because you have been forgiven. Hope is found in the resurrection. Paul wrote to the church his prayer for the church, and I would say my prayer for you. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance, in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the age to come. The resurrection for us means hope. Hope. Because the power over the grave is a living hope. The hope that Christ offers us is constant. It's active. It lasts forever. It's never dependent on our abilities, our talents, our, our skillfulness, right? No. I mean, we often feel like we're, we're up against struggles, and you are. That frankly don't make sense. That just want to overwhelm you. It's easy to sometimes lose our hope. Life really does take it from us. Maybe we, and usually, oftentimes, in response to when we feel like we're hopeless, we have less hope, we, we, we look for hope in temporal things. 
or even in people that mean a lot to us. But, but people leave us, people let us down. Money is here today and gone tomorrow. The things we, we possess break down or need to be replaced. The only true promise of lasting hope in this life is found in Christ. He's stronger than all the things that we can have here in this world. He defeated the powers that seek to pull us away from him. He's the author of hope. He's the giver of peace for us in times when we experience struggles and difficulty. If you found your hope has run dry, ask him for his help. Ask him for refreshment. His hope never runs in short supply. He gives to all who ask. He promises that all we need to live strong and free today, he will give to, the, to any who ask. The hope you want is right here. The cross. Knowing this, I want to give us a chance to pray together. Usually, I, I ask you to pray, and we don't... Re- I pray, and we all just sit here quietly. <clears throat> Today, I'm going to ask us to pray out loud. Uh, because there are some people here that probably need to pray this thought, this prayer for the first time. These aren't magic words. It's a prayer of surrender. It's where hope is starts. It's where it starts. Surrendering our li- this life to Christ. If you'd be so bold, these aren't magic words. Just a prayer of opening your heart up to God and inviting him into your life. I'd invite us all to pray together. Dear God, I come before you today with a humble heart. And I surrender my life to you. I believe that Jesus died innocent of sin. On the cross as a payment for mine. And three days later he rose from the dead. Thank you for saving me from my sin. For giving me eternal life because of what Jesus did. God, today I repent. I turn from my old way of life. Because of your grace, my life is restored. Today I ask for new life through Jesus. Thank you, God, for giving me Jesus. For forgiving my sin and making me brand new. I pray all of this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer or a prayer like it for the first time, I want to say welcome to the family, right? Today is a new day for you. Today is a day where you open the door to hope. If you've prayed that prayer for the uh, 50th time, like I have second time today, third time today actually, I, I want to say be restored, be renewed. Find your hope in the, in the empty cross, the empty tomb, in the resurrection, that Jesus wants to help you live this life. You're not supposed to live it on your own. Surround yourself with people who love you and love Jesus. Today, I uh, brought you an Easter present, if that's you. Uh, there are four or five books back there in the back uh, as, as you leave today. Uh, and they're, The title of the book is Hope in the Dark. If some of the words that I shared today kind of strike you, uh, it's a great book written by a a pastor that I would recommend uh, that, that 
and if, if there's no more copies of you, contact me. I'll get you one. I've got some others. Uh, but I just want to give that to some of you who, who maybe feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm running out. I need some hope. Uh, I encourage you to pick that up on your way out. And if, like I say, if there's none, when you get there, email me and I will drop one off or mail one to you or something. I, I just want us to know that, that hope is possible. Hope is possible. And, and one way to get this hope, roll, hope stone rolling in our lives is to engage our life, engage the Spirit, right? And we do that by taking a next step in our faith. This week, there are some ways to do that, to serve. On Wednesdays, we have what we call ageless wonders is when I, I would say older people. Is that a safe way to do it, Shirley? <laughs> I don't want to step on anybody's toes. I will, I will say when... when I'll say when people, <laughs> ageless wonders, when they come to play some games and have some fun together, uh, we, we do it because we know that, that some senior citizens in our community, not all of them, but some of them, are, live pretty isolated lives. And, we, and they're alive, and they come together, and they have a lot of fun. They have, they're a hoot. And uh, it, I encourage you to come out and be a part of it. Whether you, you may feel like, I don't meet the age limit. Yes, you do. If you're alive, come on out and be a part of it. They'll, they'll have fun and they'll, they'll embarrass you too because they do that to me every time. Uh, so that's on Wednesdays, Wednesday afternoon from 1 to 3. Uh, also this week, uh, Saturday coming, I'll say that there is a meeting online uh, that members of the church, you need to be a part of that. Best way for you to be involved and to take a next step in your faith is to start to pray. We gave you a whole, there's a whole bunch of resources in our program today. The people you can pray, you don't know what to pray. I gave you a list of things you can pray about this week. Uh, ways you can be engaged in the spirit of what he's trying to do in your life, all right? Take a step in your faith. That's how you start to move forward, to get out of the, the hopelessness, is to move, all right? Thank you for being here today. Happy Easter.